Hello, and welcome to the Rise Up for Students podcast. I'm Matt Halverson, and today we have a conversation between former Seattle School Board member Stefan Blanford and current school board member in Seattle, Brandon Hersey. Uh, so without further ado, enjoy. And remember, you can find out more at riseupforstudents.org. So I am uh, Stefan Blanford, and I'm here uh, with a brand new school board director, uh, Brandon Percy, who is uh, representing District 7. He was just appointed to that role about a month ago. That's correct. Yeah. Um, and we're going to have a conversation about um, being on the school board. I uh, served on the school board, just ended my term a couple years ago, so, uh, but still have great interest in what's going on at the school district. I obviously have a kid that's still in Seattle Public Schools, so I have a lot of passion around that. And Brandon um, was really proud and happy to see that Brandon um, was appointed into that role about a month ago. And so if you're ready, we'll have a conversation about that. Yeah, absolutely. Let's okay. get to it. So you've been, in the, you've been on the school board for a little more than a month now. And some say that the first months are like drinking from a fire hose. I know that to be true. Um, I can remember my own experience. What's it been like for you? Yeah, I would say that that's probably pretty accurate. For me, it's been amazing. I've had such a wonderful time getting to know the students and families of District 7 a little bit better. Um, and the information that comes from the district... Uh, for those of you who are listening who might not know, when you are elected or appointed to the school board, for about a month you have a series of onboarding meetings with what they call the small cabinet. These are the different directors of the different departments within Seattle Public Schools. So you meet with the superintendent, you meet with a bunch of other you know, officials within the district who really make things go. So that piece has been super interesting because you get a very broad strokes interpretation for what, for everything that's happening in the district. So that piece definitely has been like drinking from a fire hose. But for me, where I think that, you know, I've really had an opportunity to sink my teeth into is the policy side of things and understanding how these really complex, intricate policies play out for families and students who are actually in the classroom and experiencing these things. And I think what really lends a lot to my experience there is before I sought this opportunity, before even moving to Washington State, I served for two years uh, in the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services under the Obama administration, developing social safety net policy. So things like temporary assistance for needy families, TANF, WIC, SNAP, that type of thing, all those things were inside of my portfolio. And so being able to bring that expertise and that lens of how can we construct policy to actually benefit the people who need it most is a skill set that I'm bringing to the board and something that I'm really excited to continue to do. So while, yes, it has been like drinking from a fire hose, uh, it hasn't been overwhelming at this point yet. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's good. To It's good that you don't feel overwhelmed by it. I can remember my own experience of you have this idealistic notion of what it means to be a school board director. And mm -hmm. then those conversations that you have with the senior leaders in the district are, um, in some ways, you realize that you have a little bit less control than you might have mm -hmm. thought that you had. Mm -hmm. But you also have an immense set of problems mm -hmm. that are present that you didn't know anything about until you actually 
have those conversations. Yeah, and I think another thing that's really allowed me to hit the ground running is that I've been a teacher for the past four years mm-hmm. in Federal Way, mm-hmm. and I've served in various capacities throughout our district. So coming into it, I knew what the role was like, and also being informed by my experiences in the classroom has also helped give me a lot of context for not only how to do this job, but also how to do it well. Are there other aspects of your uh, classroom experience that you think you're going to be able to bring to bear in the role of a school board director? So, yeah, absolutely. Not only as a teacher in Federal Way do I deliver curriculum, I've also helped write it, mm-hmm. uh, especially concerning math. I've served on you know, our math curriculum team, developing and rewriting curriculum to become more culturally responsive and easier to teach for teachers and other educators in our district. And so that's something that I'm really excited to bring you know, the expertise that I've garnered from that experience to the board and understanding not only what curriculum adoptions look like and what they should look like going forward, but also understanding at the front end how do we not only make this or how do we not only look at these curricula that we might be adopting, especially in the case of ethnic studies or science or whatever it might be that's coming before us, not only how are we thinking about these curricula in a way that is beneficial for students, but also beneficial for teachers, right? Because implementation is the big part. You know, we can have all of these lofty ideals about what should be going on in classrooms, but if it's not feasible and if it's not realistic, then it's not going to get done. And your curricula is going to just end up sitting in the corner, Mm -hmm. right? So I think bringing the perspective of a teacher who's not only delivered, but also developed it Mm -hmm. is going to be really helpful for us going forward. Nice. Nice. That's great. Uh, so you are replacing a longtime um, school board director, Betty Patu. I don't think anybody could replace who, Betty Patu. <laughs> who served for 10 years, served yeah. that community for 10 years. Mm-hmm. And um, because of a few uh, decisions that were made, mm-hmm. uh, you were appointed by the board mm-hmm. as opposed to appointed through an election process. Mm-hmm. And so that appointment process was pretty long Mm -hmm. and somewhat cumbersome. And uh, do you have any reflections about it that you'd like to share? Yeah, so a few things. I think the first thing is that it should have been an election. Um, I think that whenever we have an opportunity to uh, engage our community in the civic process, I think that's always good. But, you know, with it being an appointment, there were also a lot of really innate benefits. We saw a lot of really qualified people of color Mm -hmm. come out to stand up for their community in a significant way. We saw folks like uh, Barbara Rocky, Dion Foster, Sophia Vaz, Amisha Smith, Chakundi Salisbury. Mm -hmm. So many folks decided to throw their hat into the ring looking Mm -hmm. for this opportunity to do right by our schools. Mm -hmm. And that might not necessarily have been possible had it been an election because of the incredibly high bar that comes with time, money, all of those factors that go into running a successful campaign. I also think that a real disappointment from this process was the way that Amisha Smith was treated by the media. Mm -hmm. I think that in the case of Amisha Smith, we have a strong black mother who was dehumanized and re-traumatized by KUOW and other media outlets. And that had no place in this process. And I think that we as a community need to do a better job of standing up on behalf of black women. Mm -hmm. And we have to be proactive rather than reactive in the future. And I think that, you know, Africatown Media is doing a great job of that by making sure that there are media outlets that have our stories and that 
tell our stories from the people that look like us and have those lived experiences. And I also think that Rise Up for Students does a great job of that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that for Amija, every time that I sat across from her on a debate stage or in a candidate forum or what have you, I left feeling a lot more knowledgeable about what is the true lived experiences of parents, families, and students in this district. And, you know, what that says to me is that a lot of people were afraid of Amija. They were afraid of what her candidacy meant for the school board. Mm-hmm. They were afraid of what that accountability could have been. Mm-hmm. And so what that tells to me is that I need to find more ways to include Amija's voice and other mothers and mm-hmm. other family members just like her in my decision-making process. And how do I elevate those voices even more? Nice. Because when we're all on the same page, we can move mountains and we have a whole lot of mountains to move. Yeah. Our district needs Amija Smith. I need Amija Smith. And we need all of the mothers in our community who who bring those lived experiences in a real way to our district, not only in order to get things done, but to get them done right. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you brought up two points that I think are really important. First, the number of people that ended up uh, applying for the role mm-hmm. was pretty astounding. Yeah. Normally in school board races, you have two or three. Mm-hmm. Um, frequently you have an uncontested race where there's only one person running. Mm-hmm. And so it was wonderful to see the number of people that uh, applied for the role um, and then to see the incredible diversity of interest and perspectives that were brought to bear. I I remember talking to a couple people saying, I wish that these folks were scattered around the district because I think they would have been very competitive in any of the races that are uh, currently taking place. And hopefully we haven't seen the last of all those folks that were were involved. Many of them that I talked to said, this is the first time that I've gotten involved, but I intend to stay involved. Mm -hmm. And that's a wonderful thing. Um, my, My personal experience was too frequently... Um, I'd be sitting in the room and there would only be, there would only be like one or two people of color mm-hmm. with different experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, in a school board room where there's 50 people in the, in the place. And I know that that's, we don't make good policy when that is the case. So. Especially when our district is more than half students of color. That's right. We need those perspectives yeah. and voices at every level of the decision-making yeah. process. And, and, you know, I can tell you from my own personal experience that there are, there have been school board directors who don't understand that we are a minority majority district mm. because they, they don't see the diversity of it and they surely don't see it when they're in the school board room. Yeah. And so there's a perception that, Oh, that that's nice. But this uh, large group of students, we need to pay attention to them. They actually aren't the largest percentage of students in the school yeah, district. That's so, unfortunate. So that, that was one piece. And then the other piece, I'm glad you brought up the Imaja situation because that it was so incredibly unfortunate that it played out and it played out publicly in the way that it did. Yeah, it was racist. Yeah. <laughs> like It was racist yeah. because if it had been a person of any other color, namely likely a white woman, Mm -hmm. she would have been characterized as a survivor defending her family. But because this strong black woman, again, was out in the community doing her thing, sticking up for students in a really dynamic way, she was viewed as a threat. Yeah. And I mean, and I think that it speaks volumes, even when you take a look at the graphic for that article that was produced, it was characterized like a mugshot, right? Right. And that was just completely absurd. It was crass. It re-traumatized her and her family and just did not paint an accurate picture of who she is and who she represents in our community. And KUOW should be ashamed of themselves for Mm. that. Mm. 
So um, I'm going to pivot to a different conversation, sure. um, though I'm glad you were able to bring that up and to uh, talk about that issue. So uh, what committees have you been appointed to so far? Yeah, so I'm actually taking on um, Director Patu's former committees. Mm -hmm. So I am only serving on operations right now. Okay. But um, I've got interests in the committees that I would like to serve on. I would like to bring my perspectives, like we talked about with curriculum, to the CNI committee, mm -hmm. potentially. Mm -hmm. So what that means is that I have to wait until the next election. Right. And then there's a process that yes. determines what the board directors will serve on what. I'm really interested in curriculum instruction. I'm interested in retaining my position on the operations committee mm -hmm. just because I think that that is a committee where you really, you know, get a better understanding, not only how the district works, but how it works well, hopefully. Right. Um, so being in on those conversations is something that interests me. But then also um, I come with, you know, throughout my process of seeking the appointment, I came with a lot of support from the legislature. Mm -hmm. So I'm also thinking about what it looks like to be a legislative liaison and serving on that uh, side of the board as well. Right. Well, the, the, the determinations will be made after the election is held for the board officers. Exactly. And um, depending on who is chosen as the board president, vice president, mm -hmm. they'll get together and decide who's going to be on what committees. Yep. And so there's a great opportunity for you to um, kind of expand your base of knowledge. Though I, as someone who served on the operations committee and mm -hmm. chaired it for uh, my last two years, mm -hmm. um, I will I can vouch for the fact that most of the dollars of the district, mm -hmm. the total budget of the district is a billion, two billion five, somewhere like that. Mm -hmm. Um, go through operations committee. Yep. So if you are following the money, um, a lot of the decisions get made in operations committee and then go f to the full board. So there's a lot of power actually that that resides in that. And I would that suggest assignment. that everyone who is interested in following the money, please show up to an operations committee meeting. Yes. They are held one Thursday a month from 4.30 to 6.30. Yeah. They're not the most exciting committees. I can say that as a former school board director, but Definitely, if you're interested in seeing uh, how money moves and how that uh, affects the district and affects your children, that's mm. the right place to be. Yeah. So um, let's go to some of the current issues that the school board is grappling with. Yeah. Do you have any initial thoughts about the highly capable program and the proposed changes? Yeah. So I think the first thing that needs to happen is the advanced learning task force needs to be able to finish its work. We have to have a clear set of recommendations before we can make any type of decision. Mm -hmm. I think that on balance, I am 100% against segregated classrooms. And I think that there are a lot of opportunities to rethink how are we providing uh, advanced learning services. Um, I think that what the district is proposing has a lot of really great merits, but you know, I'm not ready to take a position on anything until I have all of the information in front of me. I'm coming with a lot of uh, experience from Federal Way where we have things um, that I've heard flow around on the Advanced Learning Task Force that might come out as recommendations. Um, so I'm excited to see what happens when they finish their work. Um, but I think the last time I had a conversation there were only 10 African-American students in the advanced learning uh, program. This might just be on the elementary end. So mm -hmm. let me double check my math. Um, and if I'm wrong, please feel free to correct me in the comments. But uh, there were only 10 African-American students and one Native American student. Mm -hmm. So obviously our system is very broken. I'm not necessarily sure what the fix looks like yet, but I'm excited to see what the advanced learning task force brings to the board as their recommendations. 
And you recognize how politicized that issue will be. Absolutely. It's unfortunate that so many issues that deal with kids and what's best for them ends up being politicized. Um, So I think that we have a really bold and really amazing strategic plan. We have policy 0030. And I think that, you know, if we are going to actually do something about this opportunity gap, then we have to take bold action, right? Mm -hmm. And we have to be able to stand by the plan that we just adopted. Because if we don't find a way to do that, then is it just lip service? Are we not really committed to the kids that are furthest away from educational justice? Are we not really committed to African-American boys? And any program that has only 10 African-American kids in it on the elementary side of things, to me, just doesn't hold water, right? Mm -hmm. So we need to figure out what are we doing to truly identify um, more students of color to have access to these services. But then also, it's really also recognizing what black excellence is, and that's a lot of work that's coming out of the district. Um, And we're going to have to do a lot of unlearning on the adult side of things for Mm -hmm. this, right? So when we think of a highly capable student, the image that pops into every person's mind, I think, is a little different. And it's often associated with, you know, are they advanced in math? Are they advanced in reading? Do they have two years of advancement in a specific area? And that's just not the full picture. Mm -hmm. Being advanced or being highly capable is not limited to being able to perform in a specific area above your age bracket, right? Mm -hmm. There are so many other factors that need to be taken into consideration. And I think really, honestly, it's a missed opportunity if we are only looking at those metrics. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I... I've listened to your answers on a couple of things, and I'm going to give you the opportunity to um, describe your definition of racial equity. And the reason I ask you that question Mm -hmm. is I've heard a specific focus on black boys, Mm -hmm. and I, I just wonder if there are people in the audience who are saying, He's very focused on black boys, but what does that mean for my child who may not be a black boy? Absolutely. And that's a good question. The reason that I focus on black boys is because that's who we as a district are focused on with our strategic plan. I mean, it's evident in the Seattle readers or excuse me, the Seattle super readers program where the goal of that program is to get black boys reading on grade level by the third grade. And so our district as a whole, it's not just me as Brandon Hersey, you know, District 7 board director, it's our district as a whole have a very clear commitment. And I also want to like reiterate the fact that high tides raise all ships. So if we are making our district a more welcoming, comforting, and supportive place for black boys, then naturally that's going to make this entire district a better place for all students. Mm. So I think we really should be focusing the conversation around black boys. Does that mean that we're not engaging with all students? across our district? Absolutely not. But the focus in our strategic plan and in a lot of the work that's already being done is focused around black boys because if we help that population, every population succeeds. Mm -hmm. Every population wins. And so we just need to figure out how are we having these conversations so we're not talking past the issue, but we're being brave and we're being bold and we are addressing the issues head on. Mm -hmm. Um, That's great. What about transportation? Which is not so great. (laughs) Needs to improve. Needs to improve. We got to be able to get kids to school on time. You know, it's been better from what I've heard from 
past years. Mm -hmm. Does that mean that it's great right now? Absolutely not. Um, but also what I'm really passionate about is making sure that whatever our fix looks like for transportation, that it is done with a community focus, that we're actually, you know, receiving feedback and responding to it in a timely manner. And it's something that we have to get right. Because if a student is not at school, then they're not learning. And then we're not going to be closing any opportunity gaps if the kids aren't in their seats learning. Mm -hmm. So what I really want folks to remember is that, you know, there are so many aspects that have an impact on classroom success. Bus drivers, nutrition services staff, so many other pieces that are moving in order to get kids in their seat happy, excited, and ready to learn. Mm -hmm. And as a board director, you have to be focused on all of those moving mm -hmm. pieces. You can't come in as a single issue individual. And I think, again, my perspective from being a teacher in a school gives me a little bit of context for how all of those pieces intertwine to make a manageable and exciting school experience for all kids. So you weren't on the campaign trail, but I suspect that you heard a fair amount about the district's implementation of ethnic studies. Mm -hmm. uh, what What is your perspective on what was proposed, what was mm -hmm. uh, voted on, and the implementation of it so far? I'm really hype about ethnic studies. I think that it's going to be great for our district. And I think that just to lay out where the roadmap is for um, all of our listeners out there is that just this past legislative meeting, we amended policy 2015. And basically what that does is before we amended this policy, we could only adopt um, curriculum that was developed by a publisher. So like Pearson, mm -hmm. a big company like that. Mm -hmm. Now we can adopt curriculum that has been developed in-house uh, after the amendment to that policy. So that was kind of the first step in making sure that we can adopt ethnic studies when it's done. The work of Tracy Castro Gill, from what I've seen so far, has been amazing. I think that you know we are definitely on the right track, um, but we still are going to need community input on, throughout the adoption process. We're going to have to see how it rolls out, you know, via multiple grades. And then I also want to make sure that folks understand that the state OSPI is also conducting a lot of work around ethnic studies as well. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of pieces that are still in play. I think the way that I think about it is I want to see a big focus on K through five um, because based on my experience, again, as a teacher, a lot of microaggressions and a lot of you know harmful learning happens in those grades. And I want to make sure that as our students matriculate into middle school and high school, that they have that solid foundational knowledge of what it means to not only be a person of color, but also how to celebrate those cultural experiences and heritages in a way that helps build on their learning in multiple subjects, mm -hmm. right? And so it's not just about ethnic studies as a standalone, but it's about how does ethnic studies impact math? How does ethnic studies impact reading? How does ethnic studies impact history and civics? And how, most importantly, does ethnic studies impact the way that we are teaching our kids to ask questions? That's the biggest piece for me. How are we teaching our kids to ask the right questions to discern the information that they need to feel whole in an educational environment? Mm -hmm. That's great. Uh, we've talked about several um, operational issues, transportation. I was going to ask you about overcrowding. Mm -hmm. um, but one of, the, one of the things that I don't know if this is going to sound like I'm giving you advice and you don't need advice. You <laughs> need to figure it out yourself. Trust me, but I can take all the advice. One of the things that in my um, reflection on my school board service, mm -hmm. um, 
I noticed that the amount of time we spent actually talking about kids mm-hmm. and and what happens in classrooms mm-hmm. was disproportionately small compared to the amount of time we spent talking about budgets and operational issues, yeah, adult issues versus kid issues. Mm-hmm. I, I've heard a lot in what you've how you've responded so far about centering the student mm-hmm. and making all decisions based on that as opposed to making decisions based on what's best for the adults. Absolutely. And um, I encourage you to continue to think about that because mm-hmm. very quickly the pressing issues will start sucking up all the oxygen in the room and they aren't necessarily the questions that um, that I was elected to resolve. When you talk to people out in the community, they don't talk about uh, buses or what they talk about what is my kid going to get by going to Seattle Public Schools right and so it sounds like you already have the right orientation to that the question is can you maintain that orientation when you're drinking from the fire hose yeah. of all those other pieces yeah and I think the fact that I'm still teaching while I'm serving on this board has been a really big asset to me especially during this orientation mm-hmm. because my practice in the classroom informs my experiences on the board and my experiences on the board inform my practices in the classroom great yeah great so what's been the biggest surprise of your service so far how little a month we, in how little we actually talk about kids Okay. Yeah, that's been my biggest surprise Mm. and something that I hope that, you know, my presence will be able to change. I think that everyone on the board, um, to a certain extent, is there for the purpose of making things better for kids. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, as policy dictates, we get lost in the weeds, right? right? We get so deep down into specific issues that it's hard to remember how is this actually impacting the kid in the seat at X elementary school. Right. Right. Yeah. So that's a big focus and a big priority that I want to bring, you know, to the conversation, especially as I continue to get my feet under me, is how do we keep this focus on kids? Mm-hmm. And so you have an interesting role in that you weren't um, elected by the community. Mm-hmm. And I, I say that because I remember going from one end of the city to the other. Yeah. Um, campaigning. Mm-hmm. Right. So when I one election, I had a sense of a mandate. I talked to enough people in all sectors of the city that I um, felt like I knew what they wanted me to do and I was ready Mm -hmm. to do that. In some ways, you don't have that benefit Mm -hmm. in that you you didn't have to campaign across the city. Right. You had to impress six other people Mm -hmm. uh, that were to become your colleagues on the board. Right. And I just want to be clear that I didn't have to campaign across the city, but in a lot of respects I did. Okay. Um, there were lots of folks throughout this city that I had very deep and detailed conversations with inside of District 7 and outside of District 7. So while it wasn't a traditional election process, in a lot of ways it actually felt like one. Okay. Um, we still had to receive endorsements. I came endorsed not only by you know the Seattle Education Association, but also the King County Labor Council, along with Rainier Beach's PTSA president, along with you know Senator Joe Wynn, Senator Bob Hasegawa. So there were so many different aspects and so many different variants of what is going on in our district that I was able to bring into my conversations, mm-hmm. which I ultimately think actually lended to the fact that I got appointed because I was able to see the picture from the scope of Seattle and not just my immediate worldview, right? Mm-hmm. And that's been really helpful for me. It's been able to expand and understand 
and understand that, you know, as a board director, while my primary obligation and my heart is in District 7, I represent all students throughout this yeah. city, yep. right? Yep. Yeah. 53,000, whatever the number is. Yeah, and it you, grows you become, every day. You become their their director. Absolutely. 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 So, so uh, following up on that question, um, how important do you believe public input will be in your decision-making processes going forward? Yeah, it's the most important thing, right? Because there are so many families, especially in District 7, who have not, for whatever reason, been engaged with by the school board, uh, or by the district, rather. Mm -hmm. We have to do a better job. We just have to do a better job. We have to figure out how do we reach the family, not just the students who are furthest away from educational justice, but the families who are furthest away from educational justice. Because when we're making decisions and we haven't done our due diligence to reach the families that aren't typically the ones who send emails, that aren't typically the ones who rally around single issues, then how are we making good policy? I don't know if we can actually answer that question properly, right? Mm -hmm. You know, there's a map that was just um, developed by the district that shows where the constant, the highest concentration of African-American males is, and it is in, within District 7. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the feedback that we get on policy doesn't come doesn't, from yeah. those yep. districts. Yep. So when we're thinking about what are the voices that we're hearing and what are the voices that we are leaning on when we are making policy decisions or trying to decide which way to vote, we really need to take a long, hard look at ourselves and ask ourselves, are these the voices that are going to help us close the opportunity gap? And if the answer is no, then we need to do a better job of digging deeper and engaging our community to hear from those voices. Because if we make decisions without them, then we're not going to get anywhere. So, so you bring up a really good point and you bring up a challenge for the district mm -hmm. because uh, the district in the past has had basically an all call yeah we have a meeting if you have an opinion come and share at this meeting who usually, has time right <laughs> usually in a place that's not convenient for right. folks and um you automatically get a skewed view mm -hmm. of the what we call community input and i'm using air quotes mm -hmm. because um it's usually people who have the time and the wherewithal to go to the meeting and mm -hmm. provide input mm-hmm one time when we actually coded the data where we had people indicate what race they were and what part of town they lived in before they gave their input, it was shocking to see how few people from your district actually had anything to say. Absolutely. And we were making decisions assuming that we got all the input we needed. Mm -hmm. And so um, the, the one challenge that I have for you is what you're talking about, the community input that you're talking about getting before you make decisions is very time intensive. Yeah, absolutely. And you are working a full-time job. You're about to take on another full-time job in being a school board director. Already have taken right? on another right? full-time job. And, yeah. and you're talking about doing lots and lots of community input. So mm -hmm. how... How do you figure that you're going to be able to juggle all of those things? I've been juggling for the, for the past month. You know, uh, I'm a member of Alpha Phi Alpha fraternity, and one of the things that we pride ourselves on is getting it done even when there's not enough time to mm -hmm. do so. Uh, ever since I stepped into this role, I've spent the last month 
having three hours of district meetings a day, pretty much. And then my weekends have been jam packed with not only attending various community meetings, but also, for example, walking with families to understand how Southeast boundaries are going, boundary changes are going to affect them and their children. I have spent time meeting with different organizations like Africatown to do a lot of healing around what was done to Amijah Smith. I've done several conversations with individual parents, meeting them for coffee, figuring out times that we can meet. I've even had folks who are really interested in talking with me come down to my classroom in Federal Way and read books and we have conversations over my lunch break. I think it's that type of energy and that type of activism that's gonna be necessary to do exactly what you just mentioned in finding those voices and making myself available. I mean, look at where we are right now. It's almost nine o'clock at night and we're sitting here recording a podcast and my fiance is about to fly out for a residency interview in Oakland tomorrow. No. And she's blowing up my phone right now. <laughs> but I am 100% committed to this city and 100% committed to this district and the time that it takes to get this done I'm going to get this done and I've been doing it for the past month and I'm going to do it for the next two years and hopefully four more years after that. Okay. So I'm having heard your last answer and knowing that we are uh, pretty close to time, I'm going to end with this question, which is what is the one or two things that you want your constituents to know about you or your board service? That I'm here to serve you and I care about you and that if you want to email me or get in touch with me, please send me an email at brandon.hersey at seattleschools.org. I would give my cell phone number out, but that seems probably not That's the best not, idea not to a do good on a idea. podcast. I can tell yeah. you that is not a good idea. <laughs> Absolutely. But yeah, I'm around. Uh, I have community. I am going to be doing community meetings regularly. Um, two, three times a month going forward, one on a weekday, one on a weekend. Um, and if those times don't work for you, then I am definitely open to meeting one-on-one -on -one to hear what your issues are. So if there's one thing that I want you to know about me, it's that I'm here for you. All you gotta do is ask, send me an email, let's find a time to get together, and most importantly, let's get it done. Well, again, Brandon, this was a wonderful conversation. I hope your constituents and people all over the city get a chance to hear it and uh, we'll take you up on your offer to provide advice and support to you. Please You're do. You're going into a really, really tough job. People yeah. say it's the most thankless job in Seattle, <laughs> uh, but you'll, you'll survive it. I can tell you as someone who has gotten through it, mm -hmm. um, it's also one of the, at the end of the day, you feel like you've done more than almost any person that, that lives in Seattle because <laughs> it's about the kids and you, you, you're doing the most altruistic thing that a person can do, I think. Thank you. And so I, I want to wish you the best. And um, by all means, reach out if I can help at all. Uh, but you, it sounds like you are um, walking down the right path. So con congratulations and, uh, and, and keep going. Thanks. And shout out to Rise Up for Students for hosting this. Absolutely. I really appreciate it and looking forward to engage with you all further. All right. Sounds good. Thanks.